Hey, good morning, everybody. Again, if it's your first time, we're so glad you're here. If you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in. I got a couple things real quick before we get into the message. One, um, with everything that got kicked up yesterday, I don't know if y'all saw the sky, if it sounds like I'm yelling at you at some point, I just can't hear. Um, I am like almost totally deaf this morning. So I try and give that warning a little bit. Also, I know Kristen just mentioned it, but this afternoon, um, our annual business meeting, when you hear that, sometimes you think that sounds very dry and I want no part of it. Um, it's also a time where we talk about the vision for our church. Um, it's not just a numbers thing. We're going to go through some of our finance stuff, but we also, we want to talk about some things that are happening in 2021, some things that happened in 2020. So I'd really encourage you to come to that. Um, it is actually a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. So with that, uh, we started Nehemiah several weeks ago, and we've seen Nehemiah take time and just pray through this burden that he has of, God, I know you're calling me to rebuild this city. Uh, we saw last week where he was given you know, God's favor and God changed the king's heart, and now he's going to make his way to a city that he's never seen before. Like, we live in a day and age where you can go on, especially if you have, like, an iPhone, you can, you can pick a city and you can do, like, a virtual flyover and kind of take a tour, but it's very different to actually go to some of those places. Like, years ago, I got to go to New York City on a mission trip. Uh, New York City, land-wise, it's not that much bigger than Abilene, but there's, like, 12 million people packed on top of each other, and I couldn't live there, but it was pretty cool to visit. Because it was amazing to stand outside of the Empire State Building and look up at this thing that just seems to go forever into the sky, especially when you live in Abilene, where we have, we have one building that's like 20 stories, and it's a pretty big deal. Um, but there, it's just literally everywhere you look. And to go around and experience the culture there, I did my own personal pizza tour. Um, it was great. Um, and went to a game at Shea Stadium, and then got to go to Times Square, which is like the busiest place in the world. And I saw a man urinate there. Um, it was a very different experience. And so going to these places, you can be told all the stories about it, but going is a little different. And today, we're going to see Nehemiah arrive in Jerusalem. This is a city that he had never seen with his own eyes. I mean, he had heard all of these stories. I mean, he'd had generations that had been away from the city, and they told him, hey, this is what this looked like. And my grandpa said, this is what this looked like. But he'd never seen it before. And today, he's going to arrive. And we're going to watch how he makes a plan. And we're going to watch how he calls people and implements that plan. And what we get to see is God calling us to do things as well today. So we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 9. You can follow along in your Bible or we'll have it on the screen as well. In verse 9 of chapter 2 it says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now right off the start, we're going to find this. God can overcome the most overwhelming of problems. God is capable of overcoming anything that comes against us. Now Nehemiah shows up. And I love the way that he shows up. Like he says, I got there basically with an army and a cavalry at my side. You see, whenever the king sent him, when Artaxerxes sent Nehemiah to Jerusalem, he, he liked Nehemiah. He was his cupbearer. And he knew, like, I can trust this guy. He tastes all my food. He doesn't let me get killed. And so he sees this as a good investment. And so he sends an army with him. And Nehemiah pulls up to this city, this once ancient city that had these huge walls. And it's an overwhelming issue. One, he looks around and he finally puts his own eyes to it. It's not stories anymore. He's, he's looking at this rubble. 
And I've said before, we don't know exactly how big the walls were, but the estimates are between one and a half miles to two and a half miles of wall are going to have to be rebuilt. And he looks and he sees these massive, massive stones. And some of them are scattered down in valleys. And he goes, I've got to get those back up here to put this thing together. Like the challenge is just overwhelming to him. On top of that, it's got a history of defeat. Like, it's been like this for over a century. For over a hundred years, the city had been destroyed. Like, in that time, other people had come in and they tried to rebuild it and they had failed. And other people came in and they tried to rebuild it and someone stopped them. Like, it's one thing to go into a business that's struggling and go, okay, I can fix this. When something has generational aspects to it, of this just defeat, like, this is what he walks into. And he sees that time and time again, people have tried this, and time and time again, people have failed. And I think because of that, one of the biggest and most overwhelming things that Nehemiah faces is when he gets there, the people that are still living in that city, they've come to accept this. They look around and they see the walls are knocked down. They know that they can't defend themselves. But they've just accepted living in rubble. And if we're not careful we can have that same mentality today. We can have it from a spiritual aspect where we look and go, okay, I have been in the same spot spiritually for a long time. And I know God's calling me to grow and I know he's calling me to do different things, but I'm really comfortable in this spot. And we look around and we go, yeah, I know that's messed up. I know that's messed up. These people looked out and they said, yeah, we know the wall used to be that high and we know it's knocked down now, but we're okay living in rubble. C.S. Lewis had a great quote on this. It's not my favorite one. I read it in first service. My favorite quote by C.S. Lewis says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I love that. Like, he's a great author in that one I love. But he has one that says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Like, that's us sometimes. We're the kid making mud pies when someone's offering us a vacation at the sea. And these people, this is the life that they're living They look around and they see all the rubble and they see everything and they're just content with it. And when people find themselves in that spot, typically it's difficult to motivate them. And so Nehemiah is facing just overwhelming, overwhelming, overwhelming issue after issue. On top of it, he's no more got there than people start to speak out against it. Guys named Sandoval and Tobiah, like those names are going to come up several times in our story. These were people who weren't really Jewish. They had adopted some Jewish customs, but they were kind of ruling over the area And they had seen people come in and try and rebuild, and and they don't like that because it's going to take their power away. And so now not only does he have this overwhelming challenge of rebuilding the wall, not only does he have just a history of defeat and people that don't want to do anything, he's also got outside forces working on him. These are overwhelming problems, but not to preach all of this book in five seconds, but he's going to do it. Why? Because God can help us overcome even the most challenging of things. And so when we look out at times and go, okay, where are my big problems? Okay, are there problems at home? God can overcome those. When I go to work, are there challenges there? Is that one person, it's me, like, are there issues going on? God can overcome that. 
When we look out at our church even, there's times where we go, hey, there's, it seems overwhelming. Like I remember it was like day two of being here and uh, got everybody together. You were with me. I remember that. We just walked around and like made a list that was like eight pages long of, hey, we need to get these done. Like we need to fix this and work on it. We've got some of those done. And then we just added more to it later on. That's when we had a list in there the other day. There's times where we look at it and go, man, this seems overwhelming. Like how can we do this? Well, when God's calling us, and when God's equipped us, and when God's put it in the perfect time, we can overcome even the most challenging, overwhelming problems that we face. Then it continues on in verse 11. It says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon gate and to the dung gate. And I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and I inspected the wall and I turned back and I entered by the valley gate, so, re- so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So Nehemiah... Nehemiah's a ninja, <laughs> like it's how it boils down. He spends three days in Jerusalem. During that time, he really doesn't do anything that's recorded. Like he doesn't make a big show, the fact that he's got this army with him. He doesn't immediately throw out, hey, this is what we got to do. This is his opportunity. He's heard all these stories of the city. It's his chance to just kind of take everything in. And then one night he goes, now's the time. I feel like this is when God has called me. And like a ninja, this is the most important man in the city at this point. He sneaks out. No one knows where he's at. And he just begins to make his way around the city. We get to watch Nehemiah show us how to make a plan. The first thing in a plan, get information. He goes out, it says, by these gates. Jerusalem had a number of gates around it. And some of them are a little bit different by the time we get to the New Testament. And some of them are kind of self-explanatory, like the dung gate. Yeah, you probably didn't want to live around the Dung Gate. But he makes his way out on the west side of the city, and he just begins to gather information. He starts to make his way around. Basically, he goes counterclockwise around this city. And he starts to examine where the wall was at, what was left of it, what was going to have to be done. As he makes his way south, the way Jerusalem is built, literally some of these massive, massive stones had fallen into these valleys. And he's like, okay, not only do we have to go down there, we're probably going to have to like, you know, after a century, dirt had covered a lot of them up. And we're going to have to move all that dirt. We're going to have to get these up. But he gets the information that he needs. And so he can form a plan and go, okay, you know what? That section of wall, I'm, it's going to take more people. I'm going to have to put more people on that section. That section over here, you know, that's not as bad. That's where the interns go. Uh, over here, this is where I'm going to have to have lots more people. And he just forms a plan. He gets the information. And then the next thing that he does, he puts it to a plan. He thinks, okay, now I need to be able to articulate that to these people. As he's going, he may have been making notes. He may have been writing different things down. But he's looking at this wall, and it's not just him mourning over the wall anymore. Now he's going, okay, I can see what I'm going to need to do. And I'm going to pass that on to people so that they know. And there's one other thing within his plan that it's not explicitly stated, but I think that it has to be there. Now, I want to say this. Anytime where something is not in Scripture and we speculate, you, you have to be really careful with that. Very, very careful. But what I know is Nehemiah was a guy who prayed, and he prayed a lot. And I think while he was out on this trip, I think he was praying. 
as he looked at these stones, I think he prayed that, God, I know you've placed this in my heart. I know I need to do some things. God, let this come to, let this come, let this be real. Like, God, let this happen. And so he gathers the information, he puts his plan together, and then he's going to start making his way back. And he comes around the south side, and he makes his way back up. And it says they passed through several different gates, and then it talks about even the king's pool. Like by the time it was the New Testament, that was what we know as the pool of Shalom. Or Shalom. And that's where Jesus would take a blind man and heal him. Here's the crazy thing. That was a long time after Nehemiah. Sometimes we don't realize the impact that our ministry and our lives can have on generations to come. Nehemiah is going to rebuild these walls and the city is going to start to come back together and that pool is going to be filled up and hundreds of years later, Jesus is going to be standing there with a guy who's never seen before and that man's going to open his eyes thanks to some of the work that Nehemiah had done. Like I tell people, ministry is a ripple. It's throwing that out there and it hits a spot and that's not where it ends. It begins to move out. So never underestimate the impact that you can have on someone that you may not even know right now. The impact on someone who may not even be born yet. You reaching out and sharing Christ with someone that may share Christ with somebody else that may share Christ with somebody else is this huge ripple effect of ministry. And Nehemiah, he does all of this. He makes out his plan. And then it gets to verse 17. He's going to put it into action. He said, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God and that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the Arab, heard this, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will rise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I told y'all before, Nehemiah is a study on leadership. Man, this dude is an unbelievable leader. And he could have come in and said, look, man, I am the big man on campus. Like, I just showed up with an army. I've got all this cavalry. Like, go out there and build the wall. You go build it. But he doesn't do that. He says, let us build. This is one of the best pictures of leadership that I know of. You've got a business, you've got a boss that's just directing, but especially in ministry, you've got to get out there. And Nehemiah says, hey, I'm willing to get my hands dirty. I love that he says they strengthened their hands. It's like they knew, man, the thing that we're about to do, like we're going to need some calluses. And so let's strengthen our hands. But he says, hey, let us do this together. He had unbelievable timing. In those three days, I'm sure that he prayed. I'm sure that he inspected. And then he felt God going, now, now is the time to call on these people to rise up and rebuild this wall. He kind of presents it as a little bit of a challenge, right? Let us do this. And a lot of times, people will respond to a challenge. Like the way that I am wired, if I'm told you can't do something, that's a good way to motivate me. Like I've done a lot of things that I didn't think I could do just out of spite to someone else. About the only thing, like I was told one time, you'll never be able to dunk a basketball. I got really, really close. I could dunk a tennis ball. And if I could have only been one inch taller, I would have been able to do it. But I, that's the one thing where I was like, I worked really hard and was like, just a little short on the white side. Um, and so that didn't happen. But most of the time, you challenge people and they'll respond. 
and they'll rise up and they'll do stuff. I read a story this week about a mill a long time ago. And man, this place just wasn't working very effectively. And the guy who managed it, his workers constantly just underproduced. They showed up late, and he had tried all these different things. He told them he was going to fire them. He'd offered them more money, all this stuff. And still, it was just very underproducing. Well, the guy who owned it, a guy named Charles Schwab, who you're in the financial world, you're familiar with that one. It's a crazy week for that. He showed up one day to kind of inspect this. And the manager told him about all the different things. He said, yeah, I've tried motivating him this way. I've tried doing this, and it's just not happening. And he goes, okay. He said, uh, how many units did the day ship produce? He said, they only produced six. And Schwab stood up, he took a piece of chalk, and he wrote a huge six on the floor. Put the chalk down, walked out without saying a word. Well, the night shift showed up, and someone said, well, what is that? They said, that's how many of the day shift did. Okay. When the day shift showed up the next day, they had erased that six, and they'd made a big seven. When the night shift showed up that night, that had been erased and replaced with a big ten. They had like 66% increase in 24 hours simply because there was a challenge presented to them. And these people who had become, you know, okay with living in rubble and okay with looking and going, no, this is just what it is. Like there's something in Nehemiah, and I think it's definitely God moving in him. Man, it was contagious, and they said, you know what? Yes, we're going to rise up. Let's rise up and build this. And the thing that motivates people in that moment, it's not an external thing. It's got to be an internal thing. Like the external would have been, hey, I'll pay you if you build this wall. You know, it could have even been the good motivation of, hey, if you really build this wall, people might stop coming in and stealing all your stuff and killing you. But they didn't need the external motivation. There was an internal motivation that was deep. And it was that, hey, we're doing something for God's glory. And that's what needs to drive us. That's what needs to push us in everything that we do. The bad thing is, even in ministry sometimes, we try and put these external things up there. Like, I, I worked at a place once where very shortly after getting there, I was told, hey, we have baptism goals. If you reach your baptism goal, we're thinking about starting a thing where we'll send you on like a paid vacation. I didn't know my boss very well at that point, but I had a really honest conversation of, one, I need you to never say that again. Like, actually, don't even think it. Like, definitely don't speak it to anybody because that does a lot of things. One, that could cause me to sin. Like, I know myself. I have a competitive problem. If it's December 15th and the goal was 75 and I'm at 74, I might, I might talk to someone a little differently. And like, I, don't, I don't want to even put myself in a spot to do that. On top of it, if anyone outside of the church who's far from God hears that, they think this is a sales thing. And this is not about making sales. This is about God's glory. Like, I don't need an external motivation to know that, hey, I want to see people saved, and I want to see people know more about God and grow in that relationship. Why? Because it points more towards God. Like, when God's glory is our greatest, like, driving force, when it's the biggest motivation in our lives, that's a sweet spot to be in. And this is where Nehemiah finds himself. Nehemiah knows, say, it's not about me. It's not about me being able to build this wall. It's not about these people being able to be safe even. This is about God's glory. And we've got to ask, like, does that motivate us? Like, I, I, I hope that it does. I hope that when we take an evaluation of our life, when we look at the things that we do and how we live and what we say, I hope that God's glory is the thing that we're always striving for, always pushing for, and going, okay, does this glorify him? Yes, then let's make more of that. It's this taking away from his name. Yes, well, then let's get away from that. Let's have nothing to do with it. 
Like, when our internal motivation is just God's glory, life looks very different. And so Nehemiah calls these people. He gets them excited. Like, they can't wait. Like, they got their work gloves on. They're ready to go out and do some stuff. He's overcome this huge problem. And before they can even get started on the wall, these two characters come back in. And immediately, they just try and undermine what he's doing. They said, are you, are you trying to, like, oppose the king? And I love that Nehemiah looks at him and says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. See, when opposition arises, remind that God is in control. Sometimes we need that reminder. We get all these voices coming into our lives, some of them figuratively, some of them literally, saying, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that. You're not good enough for this. Look where you're still failing. We get all these different voices, and sometimes we need to remind them, no, God is in control. Because Nehemiah has these people immediately, hasn't even started on the wall yet, and they're telling him over and over and over again, like, you can't do this. And he doesn't even listen to that. Nehemiah has spent more than enough time in prayer to know that, hey, God called me to do this. Nehemiah has already done his inspection. He sees the things that he needs to do. He's already put his plan together. He knows this plan is glorifying to God. So you don't get a voice here. And sometimes we need to tell those voices, hey, God is in control. You don't get to speak into that. And we get a lot of different things that pop into life. You get those voices that say, hey, you, you can't learn this. Like you, you can't learn scripture. You can't spend time in it. Yes, you can. Look, I'm an Aggie. If I can read it, anybody can, right? <laughs> this is one that a lot of times people go, no, I, I can't, or can't really get into that. You can. There's just way too many good resources out there today. Blueletterbible.org. If you go there, you'll find tons of translations. You'll find tons of commentaries where you can begin to study God's word for yourself. And don't think you have to pick up like a systematic theology book and read it in one day. Make daily little deposits, and they will begin to add up, and it will have an impact on your life. There's times where we go, man, we, we can't do things around here, like the whole straining towards the goal. We're going to be doing an update on that this afternoon at our meeting, and I'm really excited about that because we've got some really exciting things to talk about. But that was one, personally for me, that for several years, it was, hey, I know we need to do this, but oh, this came up. Let's, let's hold off. Oh, this came up. Let's hold off. Well, something's always going to come up. And then it was amazing to see just our people and the outpouring and things that we're going to be able to do. There's other times where little voices go, hey, that person can't be saved. That person is too far from God. That person's heart is too dark and too black. There's no way. And sometimes you need to remind that voice that God's in control because he's God. Take Paul, for example. Paul wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. There was a time where he was very far from God, thought he knew God, hated Christianity, murdered Christians, and then one day in God's perfect timing as he's off on his way to a city to kill more Christians, God shows up. Blinding light gets knocked down. Who are you? Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And you're going to be mine. There ain't anybody that's too far. But sometimes we let all those different voices into our head and they pull at us and pull at us. And sometimes we just need to remind those voices that, hey, God is in control. And if God's in control, we ask, okay, what are we doing to walk in obedience there? Nehemiah is this huge picture of obedience. It's a huge picture of so many different things that living in our world today, we're experiencing, we have to go, okay, am I responding like he does? 
He's burdened. Like, do we look around and is there a burden in us of, hey, there are people that are far from God and we want them to know who he is. There are people that are hurting that we can help, that we can minister to. Are we doing, like, do we, do we have that burden to begin with? We see how Nehemiah prays through things. We go, okay, am I, am I praying through the things like Nehemiah does? But it doesn't stop there. A lot of times we'll pray and we'll pray and we'll pray and we'll know God is kind of giving us the answer. But it takes action. It takes initiative. And you see that with Nehemiah where he goes, you know what? I know this is from God and today is the day I put the plan into action. And so we ask, what is God calling us to do? Like what's God burdened you with? Like when you look around from a ministry standpoint, like what, what burdens you? Like what, what do you want to do? But then are you doing it? Like, this is where we take that next step and we say, you know what? For God's glory, I'm going to put this into action. And we walk in obedience. And we see how Nehemiah does it, and it continues to teach us today. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we know that you have called us to so much. You got to know that there are people that are sitting here today and they, they, they know there's some, you've called them to something. And God, maybe they've just never risen up in obedience like Nehemiah did. And I pray that today is that day. And they'll say, yes, I'm, I'm going to follow faithfully after you. And God, we know that you, you call us in a really big way, in a way that saves us. So if there's anyone here today, anyone watching online that goes, man, I don't know what it looks like to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'll tell you this, it's not about going to church. It's not about being a good person. It's only through Jesus Christ. And Maybe every time that name gets said, something just moves in you, and I hope you know that's God stirring your heart. And if you've never had a personal relationship, it would be you just saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from who I was. I want to follow you. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. That's a huge call. And if that's a call that you had today, God, I pray that you would talk with one of us. We, we want to talk about what, what it looks like to be a believer. God, I pray that we would be a church that would rise up, that the, the, the capital C church, God, would rise up and do everything for your glory. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.